0: Good morning. Well, I'm Kevin Scheid. This is Bobette and our grandkids, uh, Owen and, and Emmett. Um, Katie and Joseph are their parents. Katie's busy this morning, and nobody trusts Joseph with the fire. <laughs> he probably would have done better, I think. But So this morning, we light the third Advent candle, the candle of joy. We are filled with joy at the promise of the coming Savior a joy we share with Joseph and Mary as they anticipate Christ's birth and the joy we have as we await the second coming of Jesus. This morning, our scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 7, in the New Revised Standard Version. In those days, a decree came out from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem. Because he was descended from the house and family of David, he went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there is no place for them at the end. The Word of the Lord.
1: I am excited to introduce our storyteller for today, Holly Postma. When I think about Holly, I thought, what are all the words and phrases that come to my mind with Holly? There's a lot of them, Holly. Holly is very fun. I mean, if Holly's around, a party's going on, whether they're supposed to be or not. Holly is somebody who's wise and discerning, She's somebody who, when I think of if I want to go and get some wise counsel about something, Holly is somebody that I would definitely go to. She is somebody who reminds me of the phrase that is used for King David, a man after God's own heart. I really believe Holly is a woman after God's own heart. So I want you to come on up, Holly, and tell us a story.
2: Thank you for that introduction, Julie. Good morning. I'm Holly Postma, and I want to tell you um, a story about something that happened just a little bit ago. And, oh, maybe a while ago. (laughs) I think I've aged a little bit. (laughs) All right. Um, So our wedding, 16 years ago, was an expression of Sid's years of longing for a life companion, and my hopes and dreams for a new beginning. My boys were ecstatic about our coming wedding. They couldn't wait to start life with their new dad. We were all pretty high and hopeful for a new beginning, leaving our past pain and our loneliness behind. So at our wedding, we had um, my boys give me away, and we exchanged vows that were written um, by us. And then we, exchange, uh, we gave our maid vows to the boys, and then we had a choir sing two hymns. Uh, great, is the, uh, great is thy faithfulness, um, giving thanks to God for his goodness in the past, and uh, be thou my vision as an expression of our anticipation of him in our future. So the next morning, we left for Hawaii, looking forward to warmer days and time to get to know each other better. It was January. (laughs) We had five lovely days experiencing all that Kona had to offer. On our very last day, we decided to head up the coast to Hapuna Beach in order to go boogie boarding. (laughs) I was raised on Southern California beaches, And when we got out of the car at Hapuna Beach, the hairs rose up on the back of my neck because never in Southern California had I noticed warning signs like, this one. (laughs) So I took one ride on the boogie board and told Sid that this was way beyond my skill set and I would wait for him on the sidewalk. The sidewalk, because sitting on the beach, the sand hurt. With the gale force winds and the water felt like needles in the surf. Sid promised that he would take one more ride and then we would head back to the Kona. I could not wait to get off that beach. (laughs) So I watched him take that last ride and I saw him come up out of the water and talk to the surfer who had shared that wave and then Sid started walking towards me and as he was silhouetted silhouetted behind the um, lowering sun, it looked like he had tar stripes all up and down his body. And so I started checking myself to see if I also had gotten covered in tar. But as his black and white picture became color, as he got closer, I saw that it was blood and that his face was hanging on the side of him. So I started looking for someone to call 911, and um, it took me a few minutes to locate the lifeguard to get that task done. And then I sat on all fours on the beach, watching Sid suffocating in his own blood, trying hard not to faint and vomit. And yeah, he scared the poop out of me. (laughs) So there I was waiting for the um, ambulance, pretty sure I was watching Sid die. As the ambulance finally came, they loaded Sid up, and then the lifeguard offered to take me in his truck to my car so that I could follow the ambulance to the hospital. I asked that lifeguard if he prayed, and he told me that he was a Christian, and he prayed for me, and then he tucked me in our little rental car, and I followed bumper to bumper that ambulance to the hospital, wondering if Sid were living or dying in the car right ahead of me. At the hospital, they quickly tucked Sid into a bed and started to assess the damage that had been done in his fall. And they escorted me to a person who would do the intake in order to have him processed at the hospital. But I was growing more and more hysterical and it felt like I was really losing touch with reality. And so I excused myself for a little trip to the ladies, and it was there in the ladies that I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, if you don't pull yourself together, girl, they're gonna put you in a bed, sedate you, and you will be useless to your new husband. And immediately, I got calmer, and I was able to walk out and give necessary information and have a dialogue with the um, hospital staff. So it was then that they decided Sid needed to be airlifted back to Kona for the hospital where he could have a surgery done that was imminently needed, and they um, told me that I would follow by car, and they gave me a sandwich, an egg salad sandwich, which I tucked into the seat of the car, and I started driving (laughs) and in that car um, ride a long hour all the way back to Kona I had lots of time to pray and to worship and I felt like we had received a direct hit from the enemy it I was convinced it was supposed to die so I began singing hymns like amazing grace and blessed assurance it is well with my soul and be thou my vision I became calmer and confident that God was taking care of us, that we would be okay. I could feel God holding and helping me, and I knew that he was helping Sid too. When I arrived at the Kona Hospital, I thought I would quickly try to eat the sandwich that the hospital staff had given me. I took one bite of that egg salad and almost threw up. So I put it on the floor of the car and went in to find out what was happening with Sid. I found him in a bed trying to explain to the anesthesiologist how to manage his airway. Sid could barely talk because of the hematoma that had developed at the back of his throat. But he con- <laughs> somehow convinced that anesthesiologist that he would need a tracheotomy. And then they wheeled Sid into surgery. And they told me, you go back to your hotel and sleep. So I did that. And as I went back to my car, the sandwich that I had set on the floor, nestled in a towel, was covered in cockroaches. So I picked it up and threw it across the parking lot and I littered. Then, I picked up the towel, and I shook it, and hundreds more cockroaches fled out of the towel, and then I knew I was under attack. And I got way calmer at that point, feeling like, okay, this is getting sort of funny. So. Back to the hotel I went, I started to call people back at home, and um, Sid had written down the name of his really good friend, Jim Reed, who is an oral surgeon. And I called Jim from the hospital that night, and he said, you can't break it so bad, we can't fix it. And at that point, Jim Reed became a really important support person and surgeon for Sid and I in the coming weeks and months. And I don't know how I did it, but then I went to sleep. And a couple hours later, the hospital called, woke me up, and uh, I went over to the hospital to find Sid in ICU with a tracheotomy. I'd never seen one of those up close before. Super cool. He was clearly going to live now, but the recovery was going to be long. And it was then that we really began to praise God, because Sid was alive, and he hadn't broken his neck. And everyone we talked to said he should have broken his neck. The injuries were so severe. He had broken every bone in his face but not the most critical injury. After sitting for a while with my very messed up husband, I went back to our hotel room. It was our day to check out. I needed to find new lodgings. I also needed to let my parents know that my honeymoon of a week was going to be two. And, um, and then I found out there was a surfing competition in Kona that next week, and there were no hotel rooms. So I made one phone call after another. No vacancies, no vacancies. And um, finally, on the last call, the last number I had, I was sobbing. And I told the woman what had happened. And she was really polite, but also really adamant. There's nothing available. And just as I was about to hang up, she said, well, why don't you call my sister? She works at another hotel down the road. And who knows? You know, She just basically wanted to give me hope, I think. But I called her sister. And her sister was like, nope, nope, nope. There's nothing available. And I'm about to hang up with her and she says, wait, there's a condo on the first floor with a kitchen. It's everything you need, do you want it? And so God provided lodging for us and I had to move from first hotel to second hotel and we had shared a suitcase. I call it the washing machine, it clearly outweighed me and I didn't know how I was gonna get it from the hotel into my car to the next hotel and I started praying, God, I'm gonna need some muscles in the parking lot in just a few minutes, can you do that? <laughs> so as I wheeled that thing down and opened my trunk, along comes a 16-year-old kid who clearly had been working out. And he very readily agreed to toss that, what to him was a featherlight suitcase into my trunk. And I could just see that God was going to take care of every need. All right. So when I got back to the hospital after having moved, I got a call at the nurse's station in ICU, and it was the woman who had helped me make the call from the first hospital the night before. And she said, I know you're a Christian just like me, and I wanted you to know that me and my whole church stayed up all night praying for you. And you're not alone, even though you're so far from home. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are with you. More and more evidence of God caring for us, loving us. For three nights, I slept on the chair by Sid in ICU. He struggled to breathe, find a comfortable position, and to sleep. His mouth was wired shut, and conversation was all one-sided. He would continue to be wired shut for the next six weeks. After three days in ICU, Sid was released into my care, and we spent the next three nights in the hotel waiting for Sid's swelling to go down enough that he could tolerate air travel. I read aloud to him and we walked across the street to watch sunsets each night, but it was quiet and it was painful. When we got home a week late, our boys were ecstatic to see us, but also really disappointed that their new wrestling buddy was out of commission. Sid required another long surgery to put his face back together again the way it had been. He communicated with me by writing Imagine me trying to read doctor's script for six weeks. (laughs) Imagine starting a marriage with so little conversation, so little interaction. It felt like a miracle to me how God was knitting our hearts together through this impossible set of circumstances. But that is just what happened. We grew very close as we clung to each other for comfort and understanding and as we clung to God, believing that he was caring for us in very tangible ways. That horrible accident actually worked out to our benefit in many ways. We had only known each other for 10 months when we got married. This sped up our knowledge of each other in incredible ways. I learned learned who I was really married to, an incredibly patient, engaged, wise man of intense faith and hope. And Sid learned how much I truly loved him. He had had such a long string of unhappy, unkind, and hopeless dating relationships that he had trouble believing that I truly loved him. So what might have taken me years to prove in everyday, ordinary life became clear to him in just a few short weeks that I truly, deeply, passionately love him. We both began to heal from our pasts of loneliness and pain. I celebrate that suffering. It truly was a gift. Thank you.
1: Wow. Kids, you are dismissed to um, Sunday school. Pastor Elise is here, but I'm going to pray for you quickly before you go. So if you would just rise where you are, and let's pray for you. God, we thank you for these children. We thank you, Lord, for what you have for them this morning, and we ask now that you will bless their time, that they would have fun, and they would have fun getting to know you better. your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning... We are in the third Sunday of Advent, as you could uh, hear from our Advent reading before. And we're looking at time and timing, but more specifically, God's timing. Are you ready for Christmas? Some are, some aren't. I'm not ready for Christmas. In this season, I find myself wanting more time. If that were, could be on a Christmas list, that would be at the top of my list, and I bet it would be yours, too. You know, if I am honest with myself, I don't really have time for Christmas. I think that December 25th is going to come, no matter whether I'm ready or not, whether the cookies are baked or the shopping's done, it's still going to happen, right? But. It's that all those things that it feels like need to happen for Christmas to happen. You know, time seems to be our new currency. We value it almost more than money. And I think, for me, I'm much more frivolous with my money than I am with my time. The ironic thing is that all the activities that we do to celebrate Jesus' birth, Christmas, actually take us away from him. The shopping, the baking, the parties, the decorating. No wonder we are so stressed and disappointed and exhausted at the end of the season. We spend our time doing the opposite of what is supposed to happen, of what will bring us the peace that Christ promised. Now, none of those things that we do are wrong, but it's when we're focusing on those and spending our time only on those that we really we're not celebrating Christmas. This season should be a time of reflection and renewal as we ponder the love that was demonstrated on that first Christmas. And the verses that we are in in verses one through four talk about the decree being sent out to everyone to return to their hometown, thank you. And that uh, decree said that you needed, there was a census taken and all the people who were born in a town needed to go back there. Now remember, the Jewish people had been under foreign rule for thousands of years, and so they were an oppressed people. Now some think the census was to be taken because of tax purposes, but others think it was just a matter of finding out who had allegiance to the emperor. So Mary and Joseph were from the house of David, and they returned to Bethlehem, as the decree said. Now, this trip would have been about 90 miles, and we've taken them three days from Nazareth. Now, I try to reimagine our individualistic, entitled culture, how I would feel, and I would respond to this decree. We get upset when anything disrupts our plans or our life, right? The one thing that kept coming to my mind that I hear people complain about is when they get jury duty. Right? Jury duty. That's going to totally mess up my next week, they think. We think. But, you know, couldn't Mary of Joseph have gotten some kind of a waiver for hardship? She was nine months pregnant. The timing could not be worse, as it would seem. Now, when difficult circumstances face me or my plans get derailed, I only see obstacles. We don't know this, but I have to believe that Mary may have had those same thoughts when she had that decree sent out. Why did the census have to be taken now? What they didn't know was that this request from the Roman Emperor was precisely what God was using for His purposes and theirs. The timing of the census, actually, it was perfect. Micah 5, 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, try to say that a bunch of times, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. This was no random decree. It was an integral part of God's grand plan in having Jesus, the ruler from origins of old, be born exactly where the prophet Micah said. You see, God uses all people for his purposes, whether they believe in him or not. Caesar Augustus was merely a tool in God's hand to bring about this prophecy. And did you know what Bethlehem translates to in Hebrew? House of bread. The bread of life made his entrance into the world in the town that bore his name. Coincidence? Now, we don't know for sure why it was at this time in history that God chose to reveal himself by sending Jesus, but one quote that I read said, the events moving towards the birth of Christ were like the gears of a fine old Swiss watch. Some were large, some were small, but each one was connected to another And they all had to mesh perfectly together for the hands of God's clock to point to Bethlehem at the hour of Christ's birth. So, what challenge might you be facing right now that perhaps looks like an obstacle in your life? What's God doing? What's He not doing? Changing your perspective could help you see that God is simply orchestrating a greater plan than what you can see. He might be just connecting all the pieces. Now, I tend to see obstacles as something I need to overcome instead of ordained events that will lead me to God's purposes. It's a good reminder that difficulty does not mean we are out of God's will. Mary and Joseph were in God's will or out of his control. Those difficulties are part of God's plan. I heard once a saying that said, when it looks like things are falling apart, they're falling into place. That has been a real comfort to me. Now, verses 5 through 7 here are telling us that the child, it was time for the child to be born, right? It says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, laid him in a a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. The timing seemed, again, it could not be worse. Not only were they not at home, they had no proper room to have their baby in. And contrary to popular belief, we are not told that an innkeeper turned them away and it was just that there were no extra rooms. I find it interesting that we are always making up new traditions and call them biblical, because the innkeeper seems to be in every narrative of the Christmas story that we retell. No, actually, it was because of the overcrowding from the influx of homecomers to Bethlehem that Joseph and Mary were forced to stay probably in the lower floor of a private home where first-century households kept their livestock. Now, I remember having my firstborn and all of the planning to make sure everything was prepared, safe, a nursery decorated perfectly. The only thing that did not go as planned with my firstborn was the outfit I brought him home in. You see, it was a lovely white baby gown, that had, in pink embroidery on it, thank heaven for little girls. Adam was supposed to be Anne Marie. Now, it's not that I had an ultrasound to tell me that, because back then, they only did them if they thought there was a problem. However, I just knew it was a girl. I just had a feeling. And I will tell you that every time I have guessed the sex of a child, I have been wrong. So, it started there. Fortunately, my mom was able to run to the hospital and quickly exchange it for something that said, thank heaven for little boys. Now, I can't imagine how Mary must have felt being so young and having her first child in such inadequate surroundings. Why couldn't God have timed the birth so that she was back home, or at least in a comfortable, safe place? Did she ever wonder where God was in this very untimely event? Why now? Why here? We may not be able to relate to all the things that Mary and Joseph went through. However, we can relate to questioning God's timing in our lives. How many times have you said, I don't have time for this? Or, this just isn't the right time or this couldn't have come at a worse time. I've had many times in my life that I've questioned God's timing, and usually I think He's taking way too long to answer my prayer. A time that I look back on, though, with thankfulness for God's timing was almost 14 years ago now. I came down with a bad virus, and it left me with a permanent sense of dizziness and positional vertigo. It has limited my physical activity in many ways. And as hard as that can be to manage, I realized that the timing was perfect. Well, I didn't maybe realize it at the time. But later on, I was able to look back and have a different perspective. You see, instead of asking the question, why now, I could say, thank you, God, that it's now because it happened a week after my youngest son graduated from high school. If I had had to deal with what I was dealing with and deal with now while I had children at home, it would have been much, much worse. I am grateful for the years that God gave me of full health to take care of and enjoy my family before my kids went off to college. It was a real blessing for God to, in his mercy, hold that off for me until that time, his time. Now, nothing demonstrates the importance of precise timing more than the birth of Christ. And Paul alludes to this when he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law in Galatians but when the fullness of time had come. This word fullness means that uh, something is, is filling something else up. God allowed it a certain amount of time for sending his son. And the phrase the fullness of time marks God's intrusion into time with his answer for his people. God gave the son at the most momentous time in history. He timed the redemption of his people precisely. The Roman Empire brought the Pax Ramona, the Peace of Rome, throughout the world. There was great political stability throughout the Roman world. Freedom in trade and travel uh, was at the greatest level in history. The Greek language was the language of the empire, making an opportune time for spreading the gospel. Jesus did not come at some random time. He came precisely at the moment God designed from all eternity. God intervened into time by sending his son so that we might have eternal salvation. You see, the most auspicious time of history was when the Son of God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came at zero hour, the climactic moment that God wanted the eternally preexistent Son of God, to step forth into earth in the manger that very first Christmas. It came time for the baby to be born. He fulfilled God's set time. Now, that was a critical point in history. God does nothing prematurely, and he does nothing late. The first coming of Christ was not by chance. Previously Jesus was the God, now he is the God-man. The birth of Christ was God incognito. 1 John 4 says, "God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. But this is real love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us first and sent his Son." as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Nothing is a matter of indifference with God, even the events in your own life and my own life. And nothing surprises God. He is sovereign over time. He is sovereign over our time. Psalm 31 says, My times are in your hand. What a great reminder when we are wondering where God is in all of this, when we are wondering if he even cares or he is aware of what's happening in our life at certain times, we may not even understand the timing of some things, but we can find solace in the reality that God is at work in all circumstances at all times. Esther is another example for us. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? We all know this line. Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. The story of Esther is an inspiring example of a young woman who was put in the right place, at the right time to save the Jewish people from extinction. She was risking her life because she knew that God's timing was perfect and she was a part of that plan. As untimely as it may have seemed for Mary and Joseph, their time and the time of all the world was in God's hand. Do you believe that? Is there something happening right now that you are questioning God's timing in? Perhaps you're without a job. Perhaps you've experienced a life-changing event. The timing just doesn't make sense. Maybe you think that God is taking way too much time in answering your prayer, like I feel many times. Perhaps you're in a challenging situation like Esther or Mary, and you're asking God, why now, why me? You see, you can't understand that God has a plan that's reaching far beyond what you can see. God may be using you in ways at this particular time that you don't understand and for people you may never meet. And what about your Christmas celebration? How are you spending your time? I've been convicted, as I always am, when I'm preparing a message that I am not honoring God with my time right now. All the activity and the shoulds are consuming me. And I am not focusing on the birth of Christ. So what I've decided to do is from now through Christmas is every day read the entire Christmas story so that I can soak in the miracle of the timely birth of Jesus Luke tells us that Mary pondered these things in her heart after she gave birth to him. But you know what? That takes time, doesn't it? But that's exactly what will have us recognizing God's perfect time in our lives as we ponder all the things He has done for us in our hearts and take that time to be with Him. Not just for this season, but for all time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that our times are in your hands. The time when Jesus came was perfect. God, we are so grateful that we don't have to question whether you are aware of what's happening in our lives at what time and when, but that you have a greater purpose that we can't see but can trust in, Lord, as we continue our celebration of this birth of Jesus at this time of year, may we focus on and ponder all the ways you're at work in our lives and the lives of others. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us, even when we are not present with you. In your name we pray, amen.